morning, everybody. Am I on? Can you hear me? Getting there? We'll get there. Um, I'm Pastor Stefan. It's great to be with you today. Welcome, welcome. Would you please turn with me in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 37? It's in the sticky pages, 1,240. Ezekiel 37. So this is, um, as has been alluded to, this is our last Sunday in Lent before we start Holy Week. Next Sunday is also technically Lent, but we start Holy Week, and uh, that's Palm Sunday. And during Lent, we've been following the Old Testament uh, lectionary and doing a sermon series called Wayfaring Strangers, where we're looking at this pattern that happens throughout Scripture. It's established all the way back in Genesis, where God calls people to leave what is familiar. He calls them to leave what they know and to walk forward into the unknown. Um, This is something that happens over and over again in Scripture. It's also something that happens over and over in the lives of Christians, in the lives of people who follow God and listen to the voice of God. Um, He pulls us away from what's safe. He pulls us away from the things that we know, and he pushes us into directions that are unfamiliar and, and uncomfortable as we try to figure out what it means to live faithfully in lives that we might not have chosen for ourselves. We look around and we say, this isn't what I had chosen. We might be uh, exactly where God needs us to be if that's the case. So our human instinct is to um, get as comfortable as we possibly can and to settle down and to settle into something, to stay in one place and to try to exercise as much control as we possibly can over our lives. We want to control our lives, but over and over again in the story of Scripture, God says, nope, that's not how this works. Our ability to control our lives is not a very high priority on God's list, believe it or not. God is always saying we're doing something new, we're doing something new. Uh, So this morning, we're reading this story from uh, Ezekiel, which is a fairly famous story, a fairly well-known story. It's about this vision that Ezekiel has about these dry bones. Uh, But before we read that, would you please join me in this prayer for illumination? God of questions, God of transformation, God of the Lenten journey, Help us to discern your voice in all things. Open us to change and growth that we may walk with Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Ezekiel 37, first 14 verses. Listen to God's word. Ezekiel writes, The hand of the Lord was on me, And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among the bones, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. 
I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then the Lord said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy to them and say, This is what the sovereign Lord says, My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back into the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So the prophecy of Ezekiel uh, was written for people who are in exile. This is an exile text. What does that mean to be in exile? Um, So during this little sermon series, we've given a very brief history of the Old Testament, really zoomed out history. We started at the beginning with Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve ate the fruit, and they were banished from the Garden of Eden, and they became a wandering people. They became wayfaring strangers. Uh, And the Israelites, in the book of Exodus, they find themselves enslaved in Egypt, and God delivers them from their slavery, and they become a wandering people in the wilderness. They become their own version of wayfaring strangers. And the promise to Adam and Eve and the promise to the Israelite people and the promise to all the people of God is that God will lead them to the promised land. God will lead them to the place where they are supposed to go. God will lead them to this land that is flowing with milk and honey where they will be forever and they will be safe and they will be secure and they will be in community with each other and they will be in community with God. And it happens actually in the Old Testament in the book of Joshua, way at the end. Um, And then as you read on, it doesn't go so well. Very long story, very short. God's people were not ready to be in the promised land. And they find themselves once again not at home. And they find themselves in exile. They find themselves in this situation in Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar comes and piece by piece takes all of the Israelites to Babylon until he has them all. And so the Israelites find themselves in this situation where they were given what they were promised and then it was taken away from them. Some of us know what this feels like. 
Some of us know what it feels like to be in the place with the people in the situation where you just know you are supposed to be and then suddenly something changes and you're not anymore. You're in exile. You were led to what you believed you were promised. You received what you believed you were promised and then you lost that thing that you were promised. You had prayed for that good and righteous thing that you wanted. You had received that good and righteous thing that you wanted and then you lost that good and righteous thing that you wanted. That's what exile is. The Israelites were given the promised land and then it was taken away from them. Some of you know what that's like. Imagine how easy it would be to lose your faith when you are in exile. Know what I mean? To put your faith in someone or something and that someone or something miraculously comes through for you and delivers the thing that you were hoping for. Maybe it took a little longer than you expected, but it came and then that promised thing was taken away from you. Exile is a terrible place to try to have faith in anything, anything. Exile is a breeding ground for unbelief. Exile is a breeding ground for cynicism. How do you begin to even have faith in anything when you're in exile? I find it so fascinating how people can look at their futures, think about their futures so differently depending on their current circumstances. Know what I mean? So like, if the sun is shining and the birds are singing and you find a $5 bill in your pocket, it's just like, what? And you think about your future and you know, yeah, things are going to be okay, it's going to be fine, everything's going to be perfectly fine. But then a little later, like you get a bad haircut And the Wi-Fi goes out and you stub your toe and you're scratching your head and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to go forward. Maybe not quite that drastic, but your future doesn't seem nearly as optimistic as it did just a little bit ago. Our perspective on the future is so significantly influenced by our current circumstances. And this is not only true for individuals, this is also true for communities, this is also true for cultures, this is also true for entire periods of history. A couple weeks ago, a couple days ago, I, I ran across this reference to the Humanist Manifesto. You ever heard of the Humanist Manifesto? Um, there's been a few different iterations of it, um, and it's, been, it, it's written by some of the world's leading scholars about what they believe is true about the universe. It's something like, this is my, my term, but it's something like a religionless creed, a religionless confession. Um, and what I'm about to read to you is from the second version of the Humanist Manifesto, which was written in the 1970s. It was written right, after, uh, right at the dawn of this big technology boom, Okay. So in the early 70s, on a technological landscape, we really started to figure out a lot of things, and it generated a lot of optimism, as you will hear. So listen to this. The manifesto says, 
We have virtually conquered the planet. These are the brightest minds in the world. We have explored the moon. We have overcome the natural limits of travel and communication. We stand at the dawn of a new age, ready to move further into space and perhaps inhabit other planets. Using technology wisely, we can overcome the, uh, we can come to control the environment. We can overcome poverty. We can reduce disease. We can alter the course of human evolution and provide humankind with unparalleled opportunity for achieving an abundant and meaningful life. Wow. That's pretty good. I don't know what you all were ingesting in the 70s, (laughs) but at a bare minimum, you were high on yourselves. That is a really optimistic view of the world. Now, here's the thing. The world doesn't feel like that anymore, does it? Fifty years ago, it did. But it doesn't anymore. We're in a different cultural period. Nobody is using that kind of language. Nobody's using that kind of that triumphalistic kind of language. And if they did, like if we read this today, it would sound so tone deaf, right? Like, have you been paying attention? We think about the state of the world, and yes, it's true that there's a lot of really good stuff happening, and lifespans are getting longer, and so on. Um, But also, there's a lot going on. Like, we're, we're still in a pandemic, right? Uh, global poverty is a huge problem. And nobody is talking about global poverty like, ah, we've got this. Nobody. There has been, all over the world in the last decade, a major resurgence in hate crimes. We are regressing when it comes to racism and classism. Uh, in America... The gun violence problem is just through the roof. It's absolutely ridiculous. And did you hear what this, they said in the 70s about, about the climate? They said, we can begin to control the environment. Like, we're at a place where we can't even agree about whether or not there's a problem with the environment, let alone control it. So culturally, we are in a very different place than we were in 50 years ago. In the 70s, apparently, we saw, people looked out and they saw a lot of life. They saw a lot of optimism. They saw a lot of possibilities. Today, not so much. When Ezekiel had this vision in chapter 37... The mood of the people of God was at an all-time low. I can't say this objectively, but I can only imagine that the faith of the people of God was at an all-time low. They thought they were done wandering. They thought they were done being wayfaring strangers. They thought they had found their promised land and that they would be there forever and that they would be able to at least some degree control the environment control their circumstances, control their future, but they could not. They were naive, much like us in the 70s. 
So when Ezekiel has this vision of this valley, forgive me, this is a little bit graphic, but it's not like he looked out in the valley and he saw lifeless bodies. It's not like he looked out in the valley and he saw rotting corpses. It's not like he looked out in the valley and he saw skeletons. No, no, no. He looked out in the valley and he saw bones, but not just bones, they were dry bones. Like they had been there for a while. Like they had been there for a generation or two. Like people had even forgotten that there were bones in that valley. That this was a story from generations ago. People whose names were no longer remembered and they had been there and they had been there and they had been there and the bones got dry. But God tells Ezekiel, prophesy to those bones. Prophesy to those bones. Do you hear that? Why on earth would someone prophesy to something so, so dead? It's because with God, there's no such thing as dead. With God, there is no such thing as deader than dead. Don't get me wrong, death is a reality, and we deal with it every single day. And right now, some of us are dealing with it on a way more personal level than we had ever imagined. Death is real, and in some ways, it's the final enemy, but also, it's not. And over and over and over again in Scripture, and over and over and over again in the Christian experience, death is shown to be God's preferred starting place for bringing about life. It's the place he wants to start. It's the place where he plants the seeds. Not in the things that we're doing exceptionally well and the environment that we seek to control, but in the death that we could not overcome. Human wisdom says... Let's operate from our strengths. Human wisdom says, hey, uh, we're trending up. Good news, everybody. We're trending up in technology. We're at the dawn of a new age. We've conquered the planet. We've explored the moon. We can begin to control the environment. And hear me out. All of this is good. I'm pro all of those things, and I believe so is God. But also, we need to know that God's words to Ezekiel, Ezekiel were, no, 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 prophesy to these bones. Prophesy to these bones. I'm convinced when we are at our best, that is what the church does best. We prophesy to the bones. When the church is at its best, that's what we do best. We prophesy to the bones. We bring life to the places that feel dead, to the things that feel deader than dead. Uh, I have a a pastor friend um, who uh, pastors a church just south of us over here. He did a funeral 
this week for a man that he had never met, a man who had never been to his church, a man who had no significant relationships in his entire life, maybe not entire, but certainly the last part of his life. Apparently, this man uh, was deeply struggled, uh, de- uh, deeply troubled. He struggled with addiction, and he struggled, struggled with homelessness, and he struggled with instability all of his life. Last week, he died. So, uh, the question when this man died was, quite literally, the question was, what will we do with these bones? And my friend Dave says, I know what to do with these bones. He prophesied over them. They paid to have the bones put in a proper place. They brought the bones of this man into their sanctuary. They opened the doors. Almost no one came. Just a few people from the community. And he prophesied over the bones. Why would he do that? Why? He's he's never been to Dave's church. He's never contributed to the building fund. He didn't volunteer in children's ministries. This man didn't have any significant relationships in his life. He was riddled with uh, uh, addiction. He had problems here, there, and everywhere. No significant relationships. Why did Dave take 20 hours out of his week to prophesy over his bones? It's because my friend Dave is part of a community called the church, and that community looks at death differently. It's just different for the church. When we look at death, we see more than death. My friend Dave is part of a community of people who have learned what it is to be wayfaring strangers. And when we see one of our own, no matter how broken they are, we embrace them. My friend Dave is part of a community that doesn't operate out of our own strengths. Instead, we operate out of God's power to bring life from death. That's where it comes from, life from death. So what does my friend do? He stands over the bones in a sanctuary full of almost no no one, For a man he's never met, who's never been to his church, who is deeply troubled, who struggled with addiction and homelessness and instability his whole life, and he prophesied over those bones. Why? Because that's who we are. It's just what we do. And when we are doing what we are and who we are, that's what it looks like. Life comes from death. Because no bones are too dry. And every life is a gift from God. And because everyone deserves care and dignity. Because that's how we operate in the kingdom of God. We don't operate out of our strengths. We don't operate out of, out of an optimism about the dawn of our new technologies. No, 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 no. Ours is not a humanist manifesto. Ours is a manifesto about God who brings life from death because no bones are too dry. It's different here. It's different here. And Jesus was the first fruits, wasn't he? 
What bones do you stand over today, friends? What bones do you stand over today? And what truth is God asking you to speak over those bones, prophesy to those bones? It shouldn't be any surprise that uh, in in, uh, the American Civil Rights Movement, This story that we read, this biblical story of Ezekiel's dry bones, this was read over and over and over and over again in the struggle for American civil rights. Over and over and over again by people like Martin Luther King Jr. who preached sermon after sermon after sermon on this text. Sermons and songs and rallies all about the dry bones, the dry bones, and how God brings life from the dry bones. Because it inspires a belief that God can bring something out of nothing, that he can bring life out of death, and that deliverance does not come through our triumphs, but it comes through God's miraculous grace. What bones do you stand over today? And what words will you speak over those bones? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, in this time of year, we're reminded that at one point the bones were your bones and that you were dead. And looking at you and thinking of you made us think hopeless thoughts, made faith seem literally impossible. But today, Lord Jesus, we grab onto a future that we can't yet fully comprehend. Show us, Christ, how you are bringing life from death. Our request today is that this would happen in us and around us and through us. In your holy name we pray. Amen.